0: as I said, we are going through the, the Gospel of John. We're in this uh, chapter uh, 17. We've been in it for a, for a couple of weeks. We had uh, a break from it last week when uh, Pastor Phil was uh, preaching from Ecclesiastes. And what struck me was how much what he was saying from that book in Ecclesiastes of remembering the Lord in our youth, getting our priorities right, is so linked with what Jesus was praying for his disciples in in this prayer. This prayer in chapter seventeen comes after what we could argue is one of the best sermons ever preached. Jesus preached and brought that special teaching to his disciples uh, before he went to the cross, and then after he uh, preached that special sermon, then he. Praise this uh, special prayer, possibly one of the greatest prayers that have ever been prayed. Uh, we sometimes hear it called as the high priestly prayer, sometimes we hear it as uh, Jesus's farewell prayer. But it was this prayer that he prays, and thankfully he prayed it out loud so the disciples could hear it, and thankfully the Holy Spirit enabled them to remember it, and now we have it in our scriptures for ourselves to be able to see and hear and read and share together well this prayer divides itself into uh three main parts it divides itself like this verses one to five uh, jesus is praying for himself then verses uh, six to nineteen when Jesus prays for the apostles, and in the last section is 20 to 26, uh, where Jesus prays for us. Those who are believers, he prays for us in that situation. Now, when Jesus was praying for himself, it wasn't a selfish prayer. It wasn't self-centered. What Jesus was praying for was that the, uh, the Holy Spirit would would work in his heart and his life and enable him to be glorified so that the Father would be glorified. And what we noted then, and we just put the points up, is that uh, Jesus was, was, was praying for God's glory. That was the chief end of his prayer. He was praying for God's glory. He was praying that God would be glorified. And then when we went on to look at the uh, true disciple from, from the second part of the prayer, we, we saw that a true disciple is given to Jesus by the Father. We see that uh, a true disciple has been re- revealed, or the Father has revealed Jesus to him. Now just excuse me a moment, I think a lot of wind is hitting on my mic and we need to sort that out. Or maybe it's not, it just feels like it. So, we have uh, a true disciple is given to Jesus by the Father. We have a true disciple, has the Father revealed to them by Jesus. Jesus points them to God the Father. A true disciple believes and keeps Jesus' keeping, or as we said then, to trust and obey. A true disciple is kept by Jesus. A true disciple is set apart by Jesus, but chosen by him, kept by him. And a true disciple uh, glorifies Jesus. And then we moved on to looking at uh, the request that Jesus uh, made for his disciples in that middle section. And we have to remember the context. The context is this. Jesus was praying particularly for his disciples, the apostles and then that 's who this prayer was about at that stage, but alongside that we we have to we can also apply general principles, general requests that are true for all disciples. but we have to remember that our circumstances are different, and how that particularly applied to them may be different to how it particularly applies to us in our situation, so we can 't say that Jesus was praying directly for us in this section. He was praying for his disciples. But in praying for his disciples, we saw a heart of Jesus. And the heart of Jesus was this. On the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he was going to leave his friends, on the night that he was going to go from them and and, and face this deep, deep trauma and suffering, What's on Jesus' heart to do? It was to pray for his disciples. And and what you pray for tells you what's important to you. And this can help us to, to evaluate our Christian walk. What are you praying for? Because that what you're praying for is important to you. We see immediately in this prayer that what was important to Jesus was God's glory. That's how he starts. He starts wanting God to be glorified. And then he carries on praying for his friends, his disciples. And then he continues and prays for all disciples that follow them. That's us. And then we also know that later he goes on to pray for himself and his own situation. But isn't it interesting, Christ's priorities in his praying? What are your priorities in your praying? So, so often our prayers can look like a shopping list of things that we want for us. And, and possibly not wanting the right things. We, we we demand what we want, our provision, our health, our those things. And, and they're all important, but... What Jesus was praying for was for God's name to be glorified. What Jesus was praying for for these disciples was important things. But it wasn't about provision. It wasn't about material blessings. It wasn't about their own health or their own uh, development in society. Jesus made... Four main requests. He prayed for protection and he prayed for unity. And we saw those last time I was preaching. Protection from the world and protection from the devil. As God's people, as those who are his disciples. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. The world is against us. The world was against those disciples then. The devil was against those disciples then. And and Jesus was praying for them, that they would be protected. Protection from the world and from the devil. And we noted in our own situations that we will be hated by the world as a Christian because we're not the world's. And we need God to keep us from the world and the devil because we cannot keep ourselves. We haven't got the strength to overcome the world and the devil ourselves. And if we're trying to do it in our own strength, we will fail. But just as Jesus prayed to God the Father for his disciples to be kept, we need to come praying to God the Father that we would be kept. God will keep us because just like those disciples that Jesus was praying for, we have been given to Jesus. And Jesus has asked the Father to keep us. So if everything is is too much, if, if things are getting upon you too greatly, let us be encouraged that the Father is keeping us. Those of us that are Christians, this prayer is for us to know that the Father can keep us. And then we saw unity. And Jesus was was praying for his disciples that they would be one, just like God the Father and God the Son are one. There's a unity in the Trinity. And, And Jesus wants his disciples there, the 11, to be united together. He wanted them to look out for each other. He wanted them to care for each other. He wanted them to have a a close relationship with one another, which brings glory to God. And we saw practically for ourselves that unity is an essential part of our Christian life. And and we need to do all that we can to to nurture and protect that, that unity. And we have to remember that although we do all that we can, we cannot make it happen as it should. We need to pray to God to help us. We need God's help in our unity. And particularly when we look at ourselves at Left Crosher Protestant Church, if we were in the building all together, we could look around and see that there's a great diversity of different types of people there. And it's seen very vividly in our nationalities, lots of different nationalities. When you new folk join with us in person, and, and you look round, you you will be there with probably fifteen, if not twenty, other different nationalities. And we have tall people and short people. We have people that are doing their their diplomas. We have people that are doing their degrees. We have people that are doing masters. We have people who are doing PhDs. We have people who are lecturers and assistant professors in the universities. We have people who are businessmen, people who are entrepreneurs. We have people who are employees. We have a diversity of people. We have people that have got one sort of sense of humour and others that are different. We have people who are very serious and people who are very jolly. All different types of people together. And we're united through the Lord Jesus Christ. But that is under attack. The devil doesn't want us to be united. The devil wants us to be divided. And as the saying says, united we stand and divided we fall. Well, there's a little error in that united in Christ we stand. Divided from him and one another we fall. And so we need to be united. And at at the best in times, of the most uh, easy of times, the family of God is under attack. But in this COVID time, it's easier for the devil to operate because it's difficult for us to get together. And we, we mentioned last time that good communication is essential. And that's why coming along to the small groups is important when you can make it. That's why coming along to the discussions on on the Sunday evening and praying for one another on Tuesday and Thursdays is so important because it helps us in our community and it helps us in our unity. And we have to protect our unity. And Jesus prayed for his disciples that they would be united we also realize that unity comes from being kept out of the world. we united together in Christ. And the closer we are to Christ, the easier it is to be close to one another. But if some of us are being pulled off into the world, then we have some going in one direction and others going in a different direction. And that can be very damaging and dangerous. But as we continue on now from that introduction and seeing how it all fits together, we're going to be looking at joy. Joy, the third of the requests that I want us to to note uh, from this prayer, joy. Verse thirteen, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus was was praying. Jesus was desiring that the disciples might have a joy. Now you might think that you've got a clear idea of what joy is. And maybe joy to you is when you go to the ATM and and you look at your bank balance, you see it there and it's large. And maybe to you joy is a large bank balance, a wealth, a financial independence, a stability. Or maybe for you joy is summed up in the newborn baby. Maybe joy is in a birthday party or a a celebration or joy is found in a new car or joy is found in a promotion at work or there is real joy. We see joy in people when when they get awarded their PhD, their doctorate or their master's or their degree and we see the students on graduation day throwing their their hats, their mortarboards up in the air and and people may think that that is joy or or maybe for you joy is having 10,000 Followers on Facebook or Instagram or wherever it is, or when you post a picture or a status, or you post some wise words that you get a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand likes. Maybe that's what joy is for you, or maybe joy is that perfect selfie that just captures that moment to show the world how joyful you are. One person put joy like this joy. Is the soul of happiness. Like pleasure, it can express itself through the body, but it's not of the body. Like satisfaction, it can be felt emotionally and appreciated men- ment- mentally, but it's not so much more than just an emotion or a state of mind. I don't think that made it any clearer if you, did it? Didn't me. I didn't really sort of understand what the person was was trying to, to say there. But there's, there's so much out there about what joy is and what joy is meant to be. And this person, this philosopher, got all sort of confused. It's like a pleasure. It's in the body, not the body, out of the body, satisfaction, emotional. What is joy? Well, our brother Manuel's hero author, C.S. Lewis, describes joy like this. He says, joy is The serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Does that help you? Has that got you any closer? We see what we need to do is just as Jesus prays for you, and, and just as what you pray for tells you a lot about yourself. So does where you look for joy tell you a lot about yourself. So, so where do you look for joy? What does joy mean to you? If, if you were feeling low and, and you wanted to pick-me-up, you wanted to feel some joy, feel some happiness. Where, where would you go? What would you do to, to get that joy? For some people, the refrigerator door would be opened. And if you had a sweet tooth, you'd be looking for, for chocolate, for ice cream, for, for donuts, for yummies. Well, perhaps that isn't your thing. Perhaps if you open the fridge, you're looking for the jollof rice and the chicken, and that's what would bring you joy. Or maybe there's some tracks of music that you, that you put on and they bring you joy and they, they bring you some sort of happiness. Or maybe it's, it's, it's hanging out with some particular friends. Some people go to alcohol or to sex or to relationships or to drugs. Or some people just get in their, their car and drive it fast. Where do you look? For joy. If you're looking for joy for something that this world gives, then it means you have a worldly focus. But if your joy comes from Christ, then what you have is a joy that Jesus is requesting for his disciples. See, Jesus explains it in his praise. He's not asking for any old joy. He's not asking for any old happiness. He's saying that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. My joy, Jesus' joy, not any old joy. Now, I'm sure that Jesus enjoyed many things when he was in this world. I'm sure that he saw some sunsets and sunrises that he enjoyed. I'm sure he saw newborn babies that he enjoyed. I'm sure he got enjoyment and satisfaction out of making some really nice furniture in the carpenter's shop. I'm sure he got joy out of being around his friends. But that is not the joy that Jesus is praying for for his disciples. To to understand this, we, we need to work out what this joy is that Jesus was speaking about. What is he talking about? What is he praying for, for his disciples? What is on his heart when he says that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves? Not just a little bit of it, fulfilled in themselves. He wants this joy to be full in the lives of his disciples. The joy that Jesus is talking about is an eternal joy. It is a joy that is out of this world. He keeps making this phrase and these expressions, doesn't he? He talks about himself not being of this world. He talks about his disciples not being of this world. And then the joy that he's giving, the joy that he wants them to have, is a joy that is outside of this world. To work this out, to understand this, the best thing to do is to get the Bible to explain the Bible. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible, and we so often go amiss when we try and work out something ourselves when actually it is clear to us, looking at other scriptures, what is happening here. If you, if you have your Bibles with me with you, I'm sure you do, or on your device, you might not be able to look at it on your device because of of you using the, to, to to listen to the sermon. But Hebrews 12, Hebrews 11 is talking about the greats in the face. and Hebrews 12 carries on that theme, and then it talks about Jesus. And in verse two, he says, "Jesus, who looking to Jesus." This is what we do: we look to Jesus, and He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. This is Jesus' joy. This is the joy that is his joy. This is the joy that he wants his people, those disciples back then, to know. So Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, And there was a joy that was set before him. And, and, and what was this joy? Well, he had to endure the cross. He had to despise the shame. Now, that doesn't sound much like joy to me. But because he is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He went through these things and now he is seated at the right hand of God. And as he is seated at the right hand of God, he is waiting for his people to join him in glory. And Jesus there next to the right hand of God has that joy that he wants his disciples to have and know. Jesus is talking about an eternal joy that is outside of this world. Joy for Jesus is the work of salvation. Joy for Jesus is his glorifying God. And indeed, as C.S. Lewis said, this is the serious business of heaven. You see, what Jesus wants for his disciples is a joy that is beyond a moment, that is beyond an experience, that is beyond something that this world can have. You see, true joy is found in this, is found in living in the moment, not for the moment, but for the glory of God. Jesus was living in the moment on the cross. Jesus was living in the moment when he was being beaten and suffering the shame. He wasn't living for that moment, but what he was living for was for the glory of God because he knew that whilst he was going through that suffering, he was paying the price for the sins of his people. He was atoning for those who call upon his name. He was making a way of salvation. He was doing what God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit had planned before. Time began providing a way of salvation, providing a way by which we could be made right with God and we could enjoy him forever. And so the disciples' true joy was to be found in living in the moment, not for the moment, but for the glory of God. Now, there can be joyful moments in this life. And in some ways, that, that these joyful moments that we have in this life, these, these legitimate joyful moments when we uh, are part of a marriage ceremony, we see the couple get married and we rejoice in that and we have joy in that. The joy that is there is, is like a, a spoiler, a foretaste. It's not going to spoil heaven, but it's like a spoiler in the film sense. A trailer, a taster of what heaven is going to be like. When we have reunited with friends after not seeing them for so long and there's great joy there, it's like a foretaste of heaven. When we uh, see that newborn baby and we see new life being brought into the world, that joy is like heaven. And for Jesus, it was that joy of the thought of glory And being in heaven with God the Father, and being in heaven with all the redeemed people, the joy of that took him through the suffering of the cross. There was a joy in serving to God's glory. There was a joy in doing God's will to God's glory. That there was a joy in this sense that before Christ was nailed to that cross while Christ was in the garden of Gethsemane. There was a great shadow and darkness upon him. But there was a joy in the sense that Jesus could say, not my will be done, but yours. Because although he was in the moment, the moment didn't define him, but bringing glory to God did. The glorification of Jesus in heaven with the Father is what he was living for and working to and what gave him great joy. And so he doesn't want these disciples to have a a little bit of a, a high when they're singing some worship songs. Worship songs and hymns are good and proper, but they're not what bring us joy. That because we have joy, we can sing them. And, and, and Jesus is pointing to a joy that was beyond having breakfast with him on the beach. And I'm sure there was a special moment for the disciples after the resurrection when they were there by Galilee and, and they caught the fish and they realized that Jesus was there and, and, uh, and, and they had that intimate moment with him. But that, that, that's finished. That, that, that's in the history books. You see, Jesus is talking about a joy that does not evaporate and does not diminish in the sufferings and the pains of life because the joy that Jesus wants these disciples to have is a joy that is out of this world, a joy that is beyond this world, a joy that enables them to transcend this world and carry on going. This is a joy that the world cannot Understand. Just very simply put the, the, the children's talk. Joy, Jesus first. Others second. Yourself last. How does the world have that? Yourself first. Others after that, especially if it helps you and blesses you. And then religion and other stuff just down the way. But yourself is most important. You see, this is a joy that brings salvation. It's a joy that comes out of salvation. It's a joy of being right with God. It's a joy of knowing that your eternity is with him. Jesus prayed for his disciples and, and they learnt that this joy transcended the sufferings of this world. The Acts of the Apostles In chapter sixteen, tell of a situation, and there's the disciples there, and and Paul and Silas. They're attacked. Verse twenty-two: the crowd joined in and attacked them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. Attacked, stripped, beaten. it wasn't just any old beating. Verse 23 of chapter 16 of Acts. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. That's code. That's code to keep them in in a prison, making sure they're fastened, making sure they can't escape, making sure they don't enjoy themselves. And having received the order, he understood it. He put them into the inner prison. He fastened their feet in stocks. They're uncomfortable. They can't move. They can't stretch out. They're in the inner prison. There is no escape. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. That is Jesus' prayer being answered. That is these disciples having his joy in them to the full. There they are and they are suffering. And what are they doing? They are rejoicing. They are full of joy. They're singing hymns and they are praying to God. And they were being a witness because the people around about them, the prisoners were listening to them. That's the joy that Jesus wants his disciples to have. That's the joy that Jesus wants all of his people to have. So what can we learn from this prayer request of Jesus? Well, friend, if your Christian life is miserable, then there's something wrong. If you're finding yourself in a miserable existence as a Christian, there is something wrong. Because Jesus wants us to have his joy. Now, I'm not saying here that if you are not rich and wealthy and healthy and all these things that it's wrong. No. What I'm saying is if you are miserable, if there is no joy in your life. You see, when you go chasing the world's dreams of joy and happiness, when your happiness is in likes off Facebook and social media, when your happiness is in a bank balance, when your happiness is in recognition of position, when your happiness is in a piece of paper that holds a degree or a doctorate, when your joy is there, you will never ever be satisfied and you will be miserable. And so many Christians nowadays are miserable because they've lost sight of the joy of their salvation. They've lost sight of what real joy is. And Jesus isn't praying for that. What Jesus is praying for is that people would have the joy of knowing God their Father as their Savior and have the joy of knowing of where they are going and a joy of knowing that they have a purpose in life to glorify God and to enjoy him to ever. Jesus wants us as believers to have his joy and any other joy is just second rate and no good. In England, sometimes you see little children in the wintertime and they're playing in the puddles. And they're having great fun in the puddles. But what that child really needs to see is the sea, the ocean, and to be able to play in that. The vastness and the beauty and the majesty compared to a puddle. And so often, as Christians, we satisfy ourselves with a little puddle. When what Christ is offering is an ocean of joy and a richness in Him that we should be swimming in or drowning in, as it were, of his great love upon us. See, friend, you will never be satisfied if you're looking for joy elsewhere. And and non-believer, you're probably scratching your head and saying, well, there is great joy in, in, in these things. And there's a momentary joy, but you are grasping at the emptiness of life. As we were thinking last week from Ecclesiastes, that the the emptiness, the vanity, the haval, the mist, the smoke of life, trying to get happiness and joy out of this life is like trying to grab hold of smoke and mist and hold it. You can't do it. The only way we can have true joy is knowing our sins forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that this world is not enough, knowing that there is a, a, a Future for us in Christ, an eternal future which is bought by his precious blood and we're right with him. We can also see here that for a believer, suffering can lead us to new levels of joy. Brother Tibetan is going to have to forgive me for using him as an example, but he's given testimony to this. No one would want to sign up for 10 days in the COVID pandemic hospital here, isolated and by yourselves. That's suffering. But through that, Tibetan is talking about a new level of joy and a blessing that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And there's brothers and Christians around the the world who have been suffering. And, and our heart goes out to them and we plead to God to, to look after them and take care of them. But so often when we speak with these people, when we read their testimonies, when we hear of them, there is a joy that they have. We think, how do they have that joy? And it's often because suffering leads people to new levels of joy. This world will be full of sufferings. Those sufferings will take us to the glory that is to come. They take us to new levels of joy. So Jesus prayed for joy for his disciples. And then we see he prays for holiness. Holiness is verses uh, 17 to 19. Now, you, you'll have noticed that the actual word holiness is not used there. So, so bear with me as I explain why I use that as a heading. Verse 17 reads, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now now sanctify means to make holy, to to set apart. That's why I said that Jesus was praying for holiness. Jesus is not just asking God the Father to make the disciples right with him. He's asking to set them apart for holy service to God. He's asking them to be uh, a full-time holiness, if you like, not not a part-time. We have a Sunday-Sunday Christian, someone who gets dressed up for the occasion, someone who maybe comes online for the occasion. But what Jesus is asking for for his disciples is, is they are set apart 24-7, that they are set apart for God's service, that they are set apart as holy for him that they would be living in a way that that glorifies him and he asked that this process of sanctification this process of being made holy would happen through the truth and jesus explains that the truth is the word so we have that don't we he says sanctify them in the truth your word is truth and and this has a a double meaning that the word can be taken as the truth god's word Uh, in our language and times we talk about as the bible the bible is god's word bible is the truth the disciples are to be sanctified by the word of god they're to be sanctified by jesus's speaking and and there's very strong links with jesus's teachings from earlier in, in chapter 14 verse 26 he says but the help of the holy spirit whom the father sends in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that i have said that's the truth sanctifying them that's the truth making them holy that's the holy spirit working in them to remember them or or chapter 16 in verse 13 when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth What's that? For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit is going to bring God's word to the disciples, as Jesus was preaching to them and telling them this, and the Holy Spirit would guide them in all truth, in God's word. So Jesus is praying that his disciples are made holy Through his words, That's the first sort of meaning here. But the second meaning is that Jesus is the word. Get that? Jesus is the word. And so, Jesus is the word. It means the disciples need to be sanctified through Jesus. John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later in that same chapter, in verse 14, we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we've seen his glory, the glory only, Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is also praying here. that they'll be sanctified through Jesus, through his truth. And that second meaning gains, gains momentum as he carries on in the prayer. Verse 18, As you send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. And and the word consecrated and the word sanctified there, it was the same original word. And what's going on here? Well, if we go back into the Old Testament, if you go back to Exodus 29, we read of how the priests were set apart or how the priests were actually consecrated. Verse 1 of chapter 9 puts it like this, 29 of Exodus Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. Jesus consecrated himself. Jesus consecrated himself to do the work of the priest. Jesus consecrated himself to pay the price to be the sacrifice. In chapter 29 of Exodus, it's outlining what the priests needed to do to set themselves apart so they could offer a sin offering. Jesus is consecrating himself, and what he's talking about is doing the will of God. Doing the will of God, he was not just the priest to intermediate and intercede on behalf of the sinner, but he's also the sacrifice itself. And just as back then in Exodus twenty nine the priests would be consecrated and made set apart so that they could make an offering of the lamb for the sins of the people, the Lord Jesus Christ had consecrated himself and separated himself and was living a perfect life so that he could be the lamb for the sins of his people, so that he could be the sacrifice. So that he could be the substitute. So that he could take the place of his people and suck up the wrath of God and bear the price of his sin. Jesus' death on the cross was when Jesus was saving his people from their sins. Jesus' Suffering and agony and shame, Jesus being forsaken of God, was when God was pouring out His wrath that the sins of His people deserve. And so Jesus wants His disciples to be justified, and He wants His people to be sanctified. Justified is just as if they've never sinned. Christ has paid the price. And sanctified is to live a life that is holy and set apart. And his disciples can live this holy life because Jesus overcame the world on the cross. And Jesus is praying that his disciples will be made holy through his atoning work. Jesus wanted the disciples to be holy, to be set apart, to be walking in the way that they were saved to walk. There's a very practical application and it's like this, if we want to be made holy, this is what we should do. 1 Peter 1, verse 14, as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also need to be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And the good news is that the disciples could be holy in answer to Jesus' prayer. The disciples could be holy because of Jesus' saving work on the cross and their sins were dealt with and there's power no longer in sin because the grace of God broke the power of sin on the cross. And the disciples could be sanctified and holy because they had God's word, Jesus speaking into their lives, showing them the way. And it is exactly the same for us. Those of us that are God's children, we can be holy. Why? In answer to Christ's prayer. We can be holy because of Christ's saving work on the cross and that sin is dealt with. We can be holy because we have God's word, the Bible, to guide us and show us the way forward. I have no doubt that our joy on this earth is connected to our holiness. Heaven is perfect holiness. And that's where perfect joy will be. And as we live our lives set apart and holy for God, We will have a foretaste of the joy that is to come and we will experience what true joy is in this world. And true joy is not found in the things of this world. But true joy is found in Christ, in his salvation and in his sanctification, his making us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. The world doesn't get this. The world just thinks that joy is about an experience. And in reality, joy is a status that is linked to us being saved and sanctified. And so what can we learn from this request of Jesus? Jesus wants his disciples to be holy and to be set apart. And if that's not where your heart desire is, then there's something wrong. And you need to ask God to ask what's wrong. We also have to remember that it's not something that we can do for ourselves. We can't join a holy club and make ourselves holy. We can only be made holy through the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can only carry on walking in a holy life through the grace that comes to us through the cross of Calvary where the sins of this world were dealt with and where the world was overcome. It's not something we can do ourselves. But the Father can sanctify us through Jesus and by the Word of God. And So if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to grow and have a holy life, if you want to have a holy life that brings you true joy, then you need to ask the Father through Jesus and ask the Father through Jesus to help you to abide in the Word. There is no excuse as a Christian not to be holy. There is only shame in not being holy. Everything that we need to live a holy life has been given to us through Christ. Living a holy life is the true uniform of a Christian. Not that being holy makes us right with God, but if we've been made right with God, we will want to live a holy life. Friends, do you know joy through Christ? Are you living in holiness through Christ and to Christ? Because these things glorify God and that's what our aim is. That's what our goal, that's what our meaning of life is. And it's only then we will have true joy because it will be God's joy through Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we think of the joy that this world has to offer, we realise that it's far, far away from the holiness that your son prayed for, for your people. Forgive us for when we have went after the stuff that doesn't satisfy and left the real joy and the perfect joy aside. Lord God, we ask that you would revive us and draw us back to yourselves, that we may know the joy of our salvation, that we may know the joy of sanctification, that we may be being made more like your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us where we've gone wrong and revive us and draw us back to yourself and help us to walk in your paths of righteousness enjoying you now and forevermore in Jesus name we prayed amen